God in heaven, uh, we just sang uh, a song that is truer than anything else in the world. Uh, we, your created, need you. Um, it, it's clear from your scripture that apart from you, we can do nothing. that with you all things are possible. And, and I don't know what we came in here today uh, facing in life. Uh, there are some in here who got uh, bad news from a doctor this week. There are some in here uh, who lost a loved one this week. There are uh, some in here uh, whose uh, families are in trouble. Kids are off the ranch. Um, we all have a unique story, God. You, uh, you've made each one of us different but we have this one thing in common, we need you. And so God, if we haven't come to grips with that yet, if this has kind of just been another Sunday morning for us, uh, would you lead us into that need, into that, the depth uh, of our hopelessness without you? Would you take us from that into the joy and the celebration of your grace to us, that through your son Jesus, uh, you would give us uh, hope and peace and and life with you anew. And then take us into that life, God. We're going to talk from your word now about how you want us to live in our families, but how you want us to live in general, how you want us to hunger and thirst for you. Take us to that hunger and thirst today. Help us to desire you more than the things of the world. Help us to desire you more over ourselves. And uh, lead us, God, into this life of dependence on you. Now, Lord, I'm uh, grateful for this offering we're about to take. I, I pray you'd use it for your glory. I'm grateful for the things you're going to say through me today, God. Uh, get me out of the way. Speak in my place so that we hear you and what you have to say. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen? Yeah. We're in this series called Fixer Upper. Anybody uh, remember what we're talking about? We're talking about the family and how uh, families are God's ideas. Are God's idea. He, he basically instituted family when he uh, made man and then made woman and made them to be together and then said, go forth and multiply. He, 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 the building blocks of society were established by God. It's the family. But then sin comes in. We found out in the first uh, week of our series that sin comes in and makes every home a fixer-upper. Genesis chapter 3, first man, first woman, first couple, blow it. And from there on, sin has made a mess of everything in the world, but uh, especially uh, in the homes uh, that, that you and I inhabit. If there's any strife in any of the relationships that you have, in your marriage, between you and a kid, between you and a parent, uh, it's there because sin's there. Sin is the creator of the divisions in our lives. Uh, we've talked openly and celebrated the fact that Jesus is the restorer of all things, including our families. And that's why we're here this morning, to talk more about how he can restore our families. It's his grace uh, that overcomes our sin. And by his grace, uh, many of us are experiencing joy in our families. Uh, by his grace, those of us who aren't experiencing joy can, uh, as we allow him to lead us in the decisions that shape our families. Uh, but we uh, need to understand this. If Jesus is to restore our families, uh, he needs to restore us first. This is not a sermon uh, for you to be elbowing each other a bunch. I know that sometimes happens when preachers preach is that uh, you, in your uh, perhaps self-righteousness, think, oh, that's a good one for him. He really needs that. I hope he heard that. Uh, you know, this, this is a sermon series, as all of them are, for you as an individual. Uh, this isn't an opportunity for us to look a, at the speck in other people's eyes. 
it's a chance for us to deal with the two by four on ours. Are you with me? So that's my prayer, is that God uh, would restore us first. And thankfully, uh, in the teachings of Christ, we have uh, a great little set of, of verses that establish the life that God wants us to have in ourselves, the, the, the personal life that he wants us to experience. It's at the beginning of a thing called the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the verses have been uh, known as the Beatitudes. It comes from the Latin word beatus, which means in Latin, blessed. And it, you'll see why every one of these verses starts with the word blessed. Um, we understand that blessed means what? Approved of, right? Thumbs up. It's not just being happy or being uh, content or tranquil or whatever. It means that this is the life that God approves of. And uh, so we talked uh, through the first couple weeks of this series through three of these blessings, and uh, I want to read them to you again. It says in chapter 5, verse 1 of Matthew, that seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, uh, not just the 12, lots of them, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying these things, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And today we're going to tackle a new one, and if I can put it up there on the slides, it's verse 6 where it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We like to be aerobic in our Bible study here at our church. So if you're new, this is going to be weird, but join us. We're all weird here anyway. We've learned these verses using some hand motions. Everybody up, here we go. Let's see if you remember them. What's the sign for blessed? One more time. Thumbs up. Blessed. What does the first verse tell us? Blessed are the, remember, poor, make a zero, put your eye in it. Blessed are the poor, and then we did the dove, right, in spirit, for theirs is the, make sure you do the king, not the moose. We're not moose, we're kings. For theirs is the kingdom, this is a crown, and then you got to smile, of heaven, because heaven's great, right? One more time with that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The next one was this. Blessed are those who, right, for they shall be, and this was the group one, they shall be comforted. You can hug someone next to you, just ask if you don't know, make sure you do that, but you can either hug yourself or help us. What's the second one? Blessed are those who, for they shall be, awesome. What's the third one? Blessed, remember this one? Blessed are the, uh, who remembers, anybody? Yeah, there's a muscle. Anybody remember the other part? After you. Yeah, blessed are the meek. Meekness is based, it's not weakness. Meekness is, being in a, 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 meekness is being in a position of strength and choosing it not. Having entitlements, uh, deserving in your own mind that, you know, certain things, but then choosing to say, no, I'll choose you or I'll choose God over me. That's what meekness is. So one more time. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Get all Broadway on that one. That's, you can really go for it there, right? For they shall inherit the earth. Do the head bob. It's fun. All right. You want to learn a new one? All right. So give me the thumb. What is it? Blessed are those. Okay. This is going to get more. Here we go. Blessed are those who hey, grab a burger, hunger, Okay, so it's like hunger. Or if you just want to make the part of the hunger, just like hunger. Freelance on that. Have fun. <laughs> Blessed are those who hunger and then do the straw. Thirst <laughs> uh, for righteousness. Make a halo. Put a halo over your head. Oh, this is so great. We need video of this. This is so great. 
Do it one more time. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Nice, for they shall be, rub that tummy, they shall be satisfied. Are you ready to do them all from the beginning? Here we go. All four, here we go. Blessed are the poor in, for theirs is the of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You guys are great at this. Have a seat. <laughs> yep. We lost some people after that. They came the once. Not doing that again. All right. Let me summarize what we just... Uh, aerobically did here uh, by saying this, what must I do to be restored by Jesus? First thing is a realization. That's what we talked about with the first one. Being poor in spirit is understanding that I'm empty. I got nothing. When it comes to, to life, when it comes to my relationship with God, I bring zero. Because in, my, in, my, in and of myself alone, I, I am just sinful to the core. Uh, there is nothing in me righteous. Romans says there's none righteous, no, not one. Um, th- this is the humbler. Jesus starts... Uh, with wanting to instill in us humility and understand that, that he is our all in all, okay? From that comes these, these feelings, blessed are those who mourn. A realization leads to a reaction, and the reaction is, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I, I, I'm remorseful over the fact that my sins in my own life have kept me from God, but my sins in my own life have, have made a mess in the house that I live in, the marriage that I'm a part of, and, and how I live. My, my sins impact what's going on, and, and I regret those things. I don't live in guilt. I don't live in defeat, but I live in an awareness that, that I'm the problem here, or at least part of it. And then that, that feeling of, of remorse uh, turns quickly to a feeling of certainly, like certainly I'm not going to continue doing this. This is crazy for me to live this way and think that things are going to get better. Everybody knows that's the definition of insane, right? Doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result, right? Well, this, this, this feeling, we love the Lord our gods with our hearts, this feeling that we have that's tied to our realization says, hey, I'm, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. By God's grace, I'm going to take a different path. That path that he wants us to start on uh, is the next one, that meekness thing I was talking about. It's a mindset. It starts in here. It starts with how we think about ourselves and others. And, and one of the ways I've heard it put is that we understand that we're third. Everybody put up three fingers for me. Here's the, the Christ position, the, the position that Christ wants us to live in. You can put them down. God's first. Others are second. And then comes me. So let me, let me put that another way. God's first. Your wife, husband's, is second in your life. And then comes you. Let me, let me talk to you parents out there. God's first. Your kids are second. And then comes you. Let me talk to you children out there. God's first. Your parents, your brothers and sisters, they're second. And then comes you. That's what it means to live with a meekness of spirit. The one we're going to talk about today is this fourth one that we learned. This, uh, this mission that God puts us on. He says, blessed are those who hunger 
and thirst for righteousness. I've, I've condensed it because that's what happens in the world today. We just make one word out of two. Uh, anybody here hangry right now? Anybody know what I mean when I say hangry? My, my son gets hangry all the time. He won't eat for a long time, and then he's just a completely different person. It's like the Snickers commercials, right? You know, you, you got to you know, pop a Snickers bar in there, and then they stop being a diva, you know? Uh, anyway. Uh, hangry is a thing. Thungry is now a thing. We're supposed to hunger and thirst, or thirst and hunger after the righteousness of God. And, and you're going to see as we go through the next ones after this in the subsequent weeks is that this, this is the, uh, the turning point. Uh, we're moving into action now. We've established things in our minds. I'm empty. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorrowful over my sin. I, I don't want to do it anymore. I, I, I understand my place. I'm third. But now I want to move to how I live. And Jesus doesn't skip right to the things that you're supposed to do. A lot of people come to church and that's what they're hoping for. Give me a list. They're hoping this will kind of be like, uh, you know, Oprah or uh, Dr. Phil. I know those are old. I don't know what the new ones are. But anyway, uh, people are hoping for some, some how-tos, some self-help. You know, and certainly there are, there are those things that, that are uh, helpful, and, I, and I'll hopefully give you some of those ideas today, some applicable, measurable things that you can go do. But you've got to understand, uh, the church is not established to modify your behavior. Uh, Jesus didn't die on a cross so that you could act better. He died on a cross for our sins so that you could die with him and take him on and, and, and make him your thrust in life. He wants you to hunger and thirst for him. And guess what? If you hunger and thirst for Jesus, he just ends up kind of coming out of how you live. It's just how it works. You don't even notice you're doing Christ-like things when you truly hunger and thirst for righteousness and the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's just, it's just the result. I think he uses these, these qualifiers, hungry and thirsty, because he wants to convey a couple messages. The first one is this. He uses hunger and thirst because hungering and thirsting for righteousness is, is a life and death, spiritually speaking, a life and death proposition, just like hungering and thirsting physically is a life or death thing too. You know you gotta eat, right? So I'm like, yeah, I skipped breakfast. I'm feeling it right now. Quit talking about eating. You know you got to drink, though, right? All of these things are necessary. They're in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You, you got to fuel this body that was given you. Uh, so no wonder, then, that when Jesus is going to talk about our souls, our lives spiritually, he says, hey, you got to fuel it with my righteousness. It's life or death. So, some people come to church and they think, the, the, the sermons that are preached or the, uh, the wisdom that they garner from their times in the Word alone or in the times that they come to life group, you know, it's optional. I can plug that in if I, if I truly want to or, you know, if I, if I can get around to it, if I can find time for it, I'll, I'll, I'll take the wisdom of God and try it out. Not understanding that that's not what this is at all. It's your sustenance. It's, it's what your life spiritually is meant to run on, and if you don't have it, your life begins to fail. My wife and I uh, like to watch this show called Alone. Has anybody seen this one? It's one of the survivor-type reality shows. But we like it because uh, there's no film crews, there's no other members to depend on. It's just like the show says, alone. You, you get dropped in, like this last season was Patagonia, and you're given like a, a quadrant around this mountainous lake that you have to live in, and it's, the winner gets 500 grand. Okay, so before you apply... Here's the deal. You're out there. They give you like a, a saw or, or a machete or whatever. They give you like two or three tools that you can use. And then 
the way you win is you stay out in the woods longer than anybody else. Like this past uh, series, they stayed out there for like 70, 80 days, something like that, a long time. And uh, we picked our favorites. But here's the deal. The, the way people would lose, um, some of them early on just didn't have the mental acuity to be out there. They were, you know, getting tired of being alone and they just tapped out early. But, but the, the serious survivalists, they didn't lose because they were alone. I mean, that's hard. Some of you are like, I'd love to be alone. How do I get on this show? Anyway, uh, <laughs> they didn't lose because they were alone. Sure, they missed their families and, and, and civilization and electricity and the conveniences that those things bring. But uh, it wasn't because they lost, or wasn't they, they didn't lose because they were alone. They lost because the fish left the lake that they were fishing from. They foraged all the berries from the quadrant that they were in. They ran out of food stores. Their ribs started poking through. This one guy, he was actually uh, medically um, tapped out. He, he wasn't tapping out himself, but the doctors come in every month and they check on you and and the doctors saw him. He was so emaciated and, and getting so loopy from not feeding. He tapped out, even though he had all of these smoked fish that he had set aside for later. He just didn't eat it. So it's not that he didn't have food. He just chose not to eat it because he was preserving it for later days, right? Well, that, that's how the show ended. That the last person, the last two people, the, uh, the girl that got out, is, she was deemed medically at risk. Why? Because she hadn't eaten for like two months. I mean, like you and I eat. Hey, you got to have your food. And spiritually speaking, you got to have the righteousness of God. So hunger and thirst, it's, it's very pointed. He's saying that you need this to survive. He's not just saying you need to survive, though. He chooses hunger and thirst because it has this cyclical element to it. Like, okay, who ate last night? Anybody eat last night? Who ate this morning? Anybody wake up and eat this morning? Who's planning on having lunch? Dinner? Snacks in between? <laughs> Going to eat breakfast tomorrow? Okay, is everybody picking up what I'm putting down here? We eat a lot. We drink a lot. Why? Bodies need it. We put the energy in. Our bodies convert it, uh, the calories to energy, and, and we burn it. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, three, four hours, five, some of you longer, but, you know, some of a shorter hour. Um, but however long it takes you to, to eat something and then need more, it's just the body cycle. And, and I, th I think Jesus is being very pointed here and talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He could have just said pursue righteousness. He could have used some other word and said, you know, go for it. But he chose hunger and thirst. Why? Because to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to realize that I need, just in the same way that I need physical calories, I need spiritual ones. Like, here's how I want you to think of your life groups, of your own personal quiet times, of you coming here on a Sunday. Don't think of it as going to church or going to life group or having your quiet time or Bible study. Think of it as I'm eating. I'm drinking. I'm spiritually taking in Jesus and the calories that I need so that I can go out and, and face all of the challenges spiritually that I'm going to face, and then I'm going to come back and circle back to God in my prayers, in my personal times, in my life groups, in, in these ministries that we provide, so that I can feed again and go again, feed again, go again, feed again, go again. Think of this church not as your church, but as your table. This is your well. This is where you and I get what we need to face what we must face in a world marred by sin. Ever felt distant from God? Not always. I mean, I recognize that you could be sitting right in the middle of the church and feel as far from God as if you were, you know, on another planet. I get that. But oftentimes, run a check. Is your distance from God or is your sense of feeling separated from him, 
Is it because you haven't partaken of him like you could have or should have? Has it just gotten easier not to connect with him personally, corporately, relationally? You know why Christianity is a team sport? It's because you all rub off on each other and I rub off on you and you rub off on me and we get the calories, the spiritual calories that we need to face what this world brings to us. Someone once said, maybe it was my mom, I don't know. But she says, you are what you eat. Anybody heard that one? It's pretty true, right? You are what you eat. Whatever you consume, garbage in, garbage out. Good stuff in, good stuff out. I know that's true. I'm in my later 40s. That's more true now than ever. I had the life group that I uh, am a part of and have been a part of for 13 years over to my house uh, for dinner the other night. I was at Costco getting the napkins because last time I had them over, we didn't have a napkin in the house. It was embarrassing. My bad. So I got one of those Costco, you know, napkins for a lifetime packs. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. We're making a bed mattress out of them now that we've had the party. But uh, I, was, I was walking through Costco because you can't go, just go straight to whatever you need at Costco. There's so, it's, it's a treasure trove of American, uh, you know, overdoing it, Right? And so I walked through there, and I walked through the, the, the bread and, and, uh, and baking section, and there it was staring at me. Has anybody seen the, the Costco chocolate cake? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Angels made it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a spiritual experience, this chocolate cake. It's got chocolate shavings on the outside. It's got like five layers of ganache and then this mm, delicious chocolate sponge. I'm hungry now, right? But I brought it home, and Rick will tell you, I told everybody there, hey, you got to eat this chocolate cake. In fact, I, I question your manhood if you choose not to. <laughs> and so we just sat around, and, and men who had no business after eating, uh, you know, uh, the, the meat that someone had smoked on his green egg for years and, and all the different foods that we had brought, we had no business eating this cake, but we made room, and many of us partook. Uh, later that evening, I don't know about the rest of you all that were there, but... Uh, Probably shouldn't have eaten the cake. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. It was not kind to this carcass. But it, we'll go out, though, in the world as Christians, and we'll consume. You've got to understand this. You're always consuming. You're always eating. You're always drinking something. Spiritually speaking, uh, we are consuming at all times. And we get to choose what we put in here. Oh, remember that song mom used to sing? Oh, be careful little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful little feet where you go. Uh, the writer of that song maybe didn't think of this verse when he was thinking about it, but he, he was talking about it. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whatever you're looking at or experiencing, you're consuming. And so many of us fill up on the junk food that this world has to offer, and we fail to balance it out with the goodness of the righteousness of God. And we wonder why the Christian life is so hard. Now, some of you are like, oh, here he goes. He's going to start telling me the things I can't do. I grew up in that church, right? Don't drink, smoke, or hang with girls that do, right? That's what I got every Sunday morning. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I trust that God and his Holy Spirit will convict you of the things that you need not partake of. But I will say, 
There are things in everybody's life in this room that are empty calories. Spiritually speaking, they're not adding anything to our walk with Christ. And I would ask all of you to run a check and examine yourself. Uh, what's in my diet? Because Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because it's the only way to truly be satisfied. The rest of it, it's empty calories. I've got to preach the rest of this. Hungering and thirsting for God, it's not a new idea. Let me just show you some other biblical background. So it's just Mark, Mark talking here in Psalms. David writes this. He says, oh God, you are my God, uh, and I will ever praise you or I will ever seek you. Anybody ever sing that song? Remember that like 20 years ago? Oh God, you are my God. Beautiful, right? Anyway, um, he says, my soul thirsts for you. He's getting the th and thungry there. He says, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You read David after a while, and you're just going to get this impression that David digs his time with his God. He lives from it. It's his source and his strength. I mean, he says as much right there, I'm thirsty for you. You're like a spring in a dry and weary land. He says later in verse 5, he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. God, when I'm with you, I am at the table. Let's eat. Is he talking about his physical well-being? No, he's talking about his spiritual, his soul is satisfied. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Jesus speaks on this on many different occasions. Even later in this same Sermon on the Mount, uh, he is going to speak in terms of fulfillment in life by saying this uh, to the many who are sitting amongst him uh, who are who are. Uh, just day-to-day -day subsistence living. Didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. Certainly didn't know how they were going to get their next coat. He says to them in Matthew 6, just a chapter later, he says, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He says the Gentiles seek after these things. He's not bagging on Gentiles. He's talking about people who don't believe in God or have a faith in God. He says, listen, people who don't believe, they, they're the ones that worry, but you, you have your heavenly Father, and he knows that you need whatever you need. And he says my favorite verse. I, I adopted this verse at the age of six. I just liked how it sounded. I didn't really understand what it meant. This is my favorite verse in all of scripture. It's this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He says that in the contents, context of food and, and water and, and, and providing for yourself. He says, hey, listen, the God who is and the God who has made you is all that you need. He'll provide for you. Now, he'll, he'll give you what you desire. Seek him first in his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. I think in life, uh, we can have lots of things that we do and live for. Did you know that? Everybody follow me on that? You do lots of things. Who, who does a job? Anybody got a job? Okay, you do your job. Anybody, anybody involved in a family of some kind? Okay, you can do your family, all right? Anybody got hobbies? Do your hobbies, right? Uh, we can do lots of things, uh, but we can only live for one. So don't be throwing it around out there that you live for this pizza. You don't. Okay, it may be really good pizza, but you don't live for it. You just eat it. 
It's something you do. We only got room in our lives to live for one thing, and that's why we got to be so careful. If this is the pole of our lives and we get to rank things, certainly everybody in here, if we asked you, would say, well, God is in my, in my you know, maybe not all of you yet, but you know, most of us in here would say, yeah, God's certainly a part of my life. Just like um, my career is a part of my life, and maybe you would relegate your career to somewhere lower than God and and uh, maybe money that comes from your career is certainly important to you. Some of us, all of us, struggle with putting self above our God. And then some of us, we even wrestle, and you're going to say, what are you talking about? I thought this was a series about the family. But we even struggle with putting family above our God. Remember what I said when I was talking about being meek? We're third, right? So lives that are built around self, and that's preached every week somehow. That's got to come down here. But this is the one that I want to talk about today. You know, you can have really good things displace God and his place in your life. Like uh, you can love your family so much and make them such a priority that you forget to infuse God into your relationships with them. And this is a disservice. It's outside of what God would have for us. If I could create the pull that God wants us to have, it'd be something like this. Money wouldn't be there. I'd say money's somewhere down here. and I'd want you to take care of yourself uh, ahead of your career. But then I'd put this guy way up here. In fact, if I had time, and I'd put these way down here to kind of show the priority that God's meant to have. And here's what he just said. Jesus just said this in Matthew 6. He says, listen, if you could seek God first and make him your priority, he has this way of taking everything else, whether you lack money or you've lost your job or things are going crazy in your family or you really don't like what you see in the mirror. He has this way of bringing wholeness and completion and peace and hope situations that have none if we put him first we can do lots of things but we can only live for one I don't want you to do church do God and live for money I don't want you to do your family and live for self I want you to live for God and then by his strength and with his direction do everything else because all these things will be added down to us as we put our God first. Questions that I want you to kind of ask yourselves as we close this morning. Uh, what do you hunger and thirst for most? And think about it. And try, to, try to be honest too because I know when a pastor asks you a question, we joke about this all the time, the elders and I, if a pastor asks you a question, just say, Jesus, Right? Like I was walking through the green room last night and saying, hey, what's the name of that song? And some, you know, Travis, the guy who was up here earlier, walked through, punk that he is, he just, you know, heard me ask a question and he just said, Jesus? So I punched him. And, uh, no, I didn't really do that. I know when pastors ask you questions, your, your spiritual default answers come in. You know, what's the most important priority in my life? Well, God is. Is he? You want to know a really great way to find out if that's true? Answer this next question. 
How would your family members answer that question about your life? Would they say of you that God's the most important thing in your life? Or is it your boat? Would they say of you that God's the most important thing in your life, moms, or, or is it being on Facebook? Is it your hair? <laughs> I don't know, it's trivial. Maybe, maybe ask a kid who can actually answer this question with some kind of depth. But uh, ask, find out, run and check. What are the things that I'm building my life around? I want to answer this question quickly and then we'll go home. Um, the question is this. Uh, how do I stay hungry for righteousness? And here's the answer. We must default to what Jesus would think feel and do in any situation. Who remembers the, the, the wristbands back in the 90s, right? WW what? Okay, they, they fell a couple letters short, and here's why. Certainly, we should do what Jesus would do in any situation, but we should also think what Jesus would think in any situation. We should let our emotions be what Jesus' emotions would be in any situation. Certainly, what we think and what we feel are going to shape what we do. Are you with me? And so when it comes to our lives in general, but especially the relationships in our home, what we should desire, if we're going to truly hunger and thirst for righteousness, is to submit, surrender, uh, uh, default, defer to God and his righteousness in how we think, how we feel, and what we do in any circumstance in our life. How does that happen? For the sake of time, I'm going to just tell you, and, and then we'll go. The first one is consulting his word. You, you need to know what's going on in the book and the, and the parameters that it sets for you so you can take those things, think those things, feel those things, and do those things. I got this uh, car wash wand. Uh, you'd think I was going to wash my car with it. I, I absolutely am not. They have perfectly good car washes up and down 60 for that. <laughs> I got this to wash the, uh, the house, the, the front edge of my house along the roof line. I live under a bunch of oak trees. It just gets gnarly nasty when it rains and leaves and Spanish moss and all that stuff. It's almost like it's white, but it's almost like brown or black from all the gunk that's on it. And it just doesn't look good. It's not curb appeal. Are you with me? So uh, I was trying to think of a tool that would be useful in, in uh, getting that off of there. And, and this works like a champ. I used it for the first time Friday about an hour before all the guys came over for my life group dinner. Smart guy. That's me. Anyway, so I go out there and I pop this thing in the end of my hose. And there's this little uh, bay here where you can put soap. And for the life of me, who's done this? Be honest, fellas. You buy something, you're so excited to use it, don't know a clue as to how it works. I did a quick terse uh, reading of the back of the box, right? Uh, and I thought I knew how to get this thing open so I could put the soap in. Turns out I did not. I got so mad, I almost beat this over the side of my truck. Because <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to open it. And then I did... Uh, the wise thing, which is usually the last thing I do right before something works. I went back to the instructions. Hadn't flipped them over. There's a nice little panel right there that says, here's how you open the, the soap uh, you know, dispenser, dummy. It should have said dummy, because there was other guys like me who had done the exact same thing and finally went back and rest, read the rest of the instructions. I, I feel that way when I come to God's word. In fact, you need to understand that when I preach to you, I'm preaching to you what God has already preached to me. Like, like, you know how, like, mama birds feed their babies, right? Like, they ingest it, and then they come out to their kids, and they go, and then, you know, the kids can eat. <laughs> Sorry if you don't like that picture, but, but that's, how I, that's how I picture preaching. Like, God has to make a change in me with the things that I'm preaching to you before I can preach them to you with any kind of effect, right? 
And so when I read and study for my messages to you, God is mauling me in the areas of my life that need to change before I come out. And by his grace, he mauls you through me in the things that need to change in you. That comes from not me just grabbing things out of the air. This would be a great idea. So don't go to those churches, by the way. If you're, if you're listening to someone else's opinions of life, their theology over what the word says, leave that church immediately. But if you've got someone who will soak in the word of God, eat and drink from what God has to say in his word and teach it to you, stick around there. And then do it for yourselves. You shouldn't have to come here every week and me go, so that you can eat. You should be able to feed yourself. Hunger and thirsting for righteousness starts with you knowing and following God's word. And the last thing is that God sometimes is going to just, uh, apart from his word, he's going to, by his spirit, uh, instill in you or whisper to you the things that he hopes for you. Like when we pray, everybody knows that. When you pray and you ask God to lead you, he really does want to lead you. But it's going to take you slowing and me slowing down long enough for us to hear what he's leading us to, being sensitive to his direction in life. I was, I was scrubbing my, uh, you know, uh, my, my house up, just going along dandy. And then all of a sudden, the water that was coming from the hose through this wand uh, just stopped flowing. Just wasn't there anymore. And so I immediately do what you do with the hose. It's got to be a kink. And sure enough, I went back, there was a kink in the hose. And so I unkinked the hose and I went back to the wand expecting the water to be coming out, but it still wasn't coming out. And so I just kind of stared at it. To my knowledge, I hadn't done anything that would make this occur, and so I went back and I messed with the tap. Maybe I'd inadvertently shut the tap off, which I hadn't. I hadn't even been close to it, but, you know, you're just going through all the possible solutions and this kind of thing. And time's ticking away. The guys are coming over. i got to cool off uh, long enough that I can shower to where it actually has an effect. Any fellas know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and so I, I'm running against time here. I'm starting to get a little frustrated because I wanted this to be done before everybody came over. So I'm standing there, and I prayed this prayer, I kid you not, Lord, I know it's a stupid wand, but whatever I'm doing, could you please show me what's going on? And just then, I was doing this to feel for, you know, was there a hole? I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) But I went down here, and I thought this was to hang the wand up with. (laughs) But it's a valve. (laughs) It's, It's like a fire hose. If you push it this way, water goes through. If you pull it back this way, water goes off. So on one of my, you know, masterful brushes, I had turn the water off. You laugh at me, but you've done something like that (laughs) recently, and everybody in here, as I close, everybody in here is lost in life. Don't tell me you're not. You get to things in arguments with your spouse that you're like, "I I don't even know what I did. Your your kids do things that you never thought would even come to their minds, and you don't know how to handle it. Your parents get old, and their health starts to fail, and you didn't go to class for that one. Every day of life, the water shuts off in your wand, and you don't know what to do. Now, By God's grace, hopefully you've covered some of that in your study of his word and you're listening to his word be taught. Hopefully there's some principles in there somewhere. But I don't know about you, those things aren't the first things to jump to my mind. Usually it takes me saying, God, please show me what to do. Help me to be the best husband. Help me to be the best father. 
I, I, I know it's in me somehow because you are in me, but bring it out. And then God, in that still small voice, says, hey, how about this? How about this? Have you thought of this? And life becomes satisfying. Why? Because we chose to hunger and thirst for him and his righteousness. Corey's going to come out, I hope. We're going to sing uh, that song that we sang right before I started preaching. That song that I, I led us in a prayer over the fact that we need Jesus. And for everything else that you face in life, not just in your homes, but for everything you face in life, the key to being satisfied, not that success, don't read that there. He doesn't say, he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be successful in the terms that the world says. He just says you'll be satisfied. Everything might be falling down around you, I don't know. But if you're doing the right things, honoring God in the, in the ways that he's called you to, it doesn't matter if the world is burning around you. You will be well in your soul. We need them. Let's stand and let's sing this as our prayer today. And Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. That's your prayer today. Make that your prayer. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need Amen. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. Hope it's a great one. Go hungering and thirsting for righteousness and have a great week.